The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared. If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate On the issue of 21st century legalized slavery Hosted by social activists and spoken were poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the April 18th, 2018 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio in our sixth season, National Poetry Month. On and near this day in history, on April 18, 1977, Alex Haley, the author of Roots, was awarded a Pulitzer Prize, much like brother Kendrick Lamar just received for his album, Dan. On April 12, 1861, the Civil War began at Fort Sumter, Charleston, South Carolina. And on April 16, 1862, the District of Columbia Compensated Emancipation Act, or simply Compensated Emancipation Act, was a law that ended slavery in Washington, D.C. by paying slave owners for releasing their slaves. The act was signed by U.S. President Abraham Lincoln on April 16, 1862, 
April 16th is now celebrated in the city as Emancipation Day. Our guest tonight is Craig Lewis from the Bronx, New York. He was arrested in 2016 on RICO charges for being in a gang. He was convicted and sentenced under blanket charges, which we've spoke about on this program. Craig has since achieved a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. He says, I went back to grad school to get my MBA so that it would be easy for me to understand the business aspects of things. I was going to go back to law school after I received my MBA. All of this was cut short when I was arrested. I'm here trying my hardest to get back to society and chase my dreams. I will not stop until I am successful and can prove the government wrong about the things they said about me and the things they put out in the media. Tonight, BTR intern and the host of Intercoms, Tag, will co-host with Scotty and I during the interview. In our segment, The Slave Catcher Chronicles, the headlines read thus. Data shows police brutality in America is getting worse. 2018 could be the most deadly in years. Then Deontay Yarber, police kill black father with a barrage of bullets in a Walmart parking lot. Then the Supreme Court gives police a green light to shoot first and think later. And finally, the release of additional footage from Stephen Stephon Clark's killing reveals the details of the night's events. Tonight, we'll cover South, the South Carolina prison uprisings, which resulted in seven deaths, and we'll provide a bigger picture image of SC's recent record on courts, cops, and prisons. We might even pull out the historical record on SC. Listen, Cynthia Nixon is running for governor of New York and gets it. No, on cannabis legalization, she really gets it. We'll let you hear what she said. And speaking of Nixon, we want to talk about him, and we need some research help digging through the Nixon tapes. I'll explain in a little while. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Moses Dixon, 1804-1901, to who founded the Knights of Liberty, which was a secret organization dedicated to fighting slavery and helping the enslaved escape. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Cleveland's Well, Sailor, who recently walked out of prison 15 years after he walked in. There's a twist to the story. We'll get to it later tonight. As usual, we'll we'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to 13th Amendment slavery from the perspective of slavery abolitionists. Be sure to follow the information on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio and also support our efforts by joining the community.blacktalkradionetwork.com and finding the links on our abolitionist planning page. So let's get started. You got a question or a comment? You can call us at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. For a while there, I was giving out the wrong number. Please forgive me. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, I'm doing okay, Max. Uh, how are you tonight? Man, there's always so much going on, you know, and I've been amping it up lately. And, you know, I wanted to say to you right off the bat, we're coming up on our seventh season in June, June 13th, as a matter of fact. We'll begin this our seventh year of doing this, man. And I got to say thank you for that day when you called me and said, or contacted me and said, Max, do you want to do a program with me called New Abolitionist Radio. You know, you told me about how you saw what I was doing, and maybe we could work together and and really bring this out. And I think that we have achieved that, and I'm glad that you reached out to me at that time, brother, and made this thing happen. Well, I'm glad that you accepted, Max, and you know, some things are just faded, man, and, and just the way that 
we get along with each other and we've actually met face to face several times and just how we vibe with each other I, I just kind of felt like we were fated to work together on this issue yes sir so yeah thank you Scotty indeed I thank appreciate you for it, accepting. A pleasure. and uh, a reminder also this is uh, coming up on Juneteenth remember that we're to take this opportunity to re-educate the people around us about what they are actually celebrating you don't want to go in and insult people just keep it strictly to the truth and uh, at least you put it out there for them so take the advantage this Juneteenth and join one of these uh, marches or one of the uh, parades that it will be going on and be a speaker and explain what's going on with the 13th Amendment you know Max I actually had a thought on that uh, before I say that though if Tag is on the line if he can unmute himself um, so he can sit in with us we would love to hear from him uh, we will be speaking with our guests at 20 after the hour so I'm excited to uh, talk to our guests and, and just get it firsthand from someone uh, who experienced that that just man it's just a, it's another example of the evil system uh, that exists here in the United States again you know he's one of those that I read about where they pull these people out of college you know going back years for some crimes that somebody else committed served time for but then you know going after all of these people who may have been affiliated at some point in time and it, it's just sad man and i'm glad that you know he is not on the prison plantation somewhere and that he is joining you know us here tonight on the abolitionist uh radio and hope you know that he'll become a big part of the abolitionist movement in that area um uh, what I wanted, what I wanted to say though, was uh, Starbucks is in the news, right? Starbucks is in the news. I did an interview with Max the other day. It is posted to BTR News podcast section on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. If you have an opportunity to check that out, please check it out. But I also had an opportunity to call in the Tanya Free and Friends show today, where they were talking about Starbucks and look. Starbucks is practicing slavery and that just doesn't seem to register with people. Whenever we accuse these company companies of racism, whether it's an individual or whether it's a company-wide policy, there's no lack of movement or tweeting or Facebooking or any, you know, there's no lack of outrage. But for years, as you mentioned, we'll be going into our seventh year We've been relaying the information that Starbucks and other companies are practicing slavery. And it just bothers me that that just doesn't seem to register uh, with people. And it should. Okay. Um, again, I, perhaps it's cognitive dissonance and people just can't wrap their mind around the fact that these people never stop practicing slavery. Now, I haven't put together anything officially but I was looking for the contact information of the CEO of Starbucks, Kevin Johnson. I have, you know, tweeted at their official Starbucks account on Twitter. And, you know, I brought up the issue of, of slavery, prison slavery. And that, you know, if you're going to utilize prison so-called, you know, if you're going to utilize, not so-called, but it is slave labor. If you're going to utilize that, then in order for it not to be, you know, slavery on your part, you need to be paying them at least the federal minimum wage. And 
we should take advantage of this spotlight that is on Starbucks to magnify that message. Okay, so now they have responded to the charges of racism. They're going to shut down all their stores, which is going to cost them a, a considerable amount of money to do that and go through this race racial bias training. Whether you think that's that's the proper course for them to take or not. Again, we can't see the force of race of, of slavery is because we're blinded by the trees of racism. And we don't see the connection there, which we have tried over the over these years to make people see that connection. But I was able to find the telephone number of Kevin Johnson. He's the CEO and also the physical address. And I haven't put together anything formal yet to post in our different groups. You know, the abolitionist group on btrcommunity.com and the move to abolish 21st century slavery. But I am going to go ahead and make a verbal request that you either call Kevin Johnson, you can reach him at 206-447-1575. That again is 206-447-1575. I hope that's a good number for him. This was published last year. The fax number is 206-682-7570. Again, the fax number is 206-682-7570. But what I'm actually going to do is take the time to write a physical letter and send it directly uh, addressed to Kevin Johnson at Starbucks Coffee Company, 2401 Utah Avenue South. That's 2401 Utah Avenue South, Seattle, Washington, 98134-1436 like Max mentioned about the Juneteenth and using that as an opportunity to expose people to the lie that's Juneteenth let's do it in a cordial manner but it is a celebration of a lie and we should use that opportunity So, but we should do it in a non-combative manner so that people will be receptive to what we're saying. I'm going to ask that you write similar letters or leave similar messages for Kevin Johnson to point out that whether he's aware of it or not, I don't know if he is. I would like to think that he knows what his company is doing, but that we would like for them to take the next step of stop of addressing the use of prison slave labor by his company and we would appreciate that if he's going to utilize those people to package coffee for Starbucks, then to take the step of either if they're paying, using them directly to pay them the federal minimum wage or if they're using contractors, as I've read in numerous articles that are utilizing the prison slave labor to make sure those contractors are paying those individuals at least the federal minimum wage. Because I do understand, I'm not, I, I, I'm hesitant about calling for them to stop using it altogether because I know the situation that the victims are in and how much it costs them to get some of the basic necessities that they need from the commissary, which is, you know, uh, uh, exorbitant prices that they have to pay, the money That's that the is trap. paid for uh, keeping in touch with their families through the telecommunication companies that's exploiting them and the families. And then also, they may have children or family members that 
could use some of, some of that money. Or in the very least, they will have that money so they don't have to rely solely on family members. So I just want to put that out. I'm going to get a physical address again. The CEO is Kevin Johnson. And you can uh, write him a letter at Starbucks Coffee Company, 2401 Utah Avenue South, Seattle, Washington, 9813-1436. And if Tag is on on the line, who will be co-hosting with us tonight, I would like to turn it over to him to give his opening hey, comments. Hey, Scotty, uh, before, before you say that, could I just put in one more thing? And, sure. And offer you some suggestions? Uh, you're talking about writing a literal letter, letter to the man. Well, I would offer these things. First of all, we want a policy change for you to divest from prisons and for-profit prisons. If you have any investments in for-profit prisons, we want it to be a policy that you do not use prison slave labor. And I understand your argument, Scotty, but just today I was speaking with Swift Justice, who's in an Alabama prison, and he was telling me about how kinetic justice has been in solitary confinement for five years now. These are the risks that these brothers are willing to take in order to get this job done. So, yes, cut off the prison labor completely. We want the whole damn country to start doing that. And then the other thing is uh, to have biannual training, every six months to have biannual uh, racial training, mainly because if you're only going to do it one time, then it's just a damn publicity stunt because most of your employees ain't going to be there in 48 months. It's just, they're not going to be there, and they ain't going to remember that damn <laughs> One time you closed down and had a, a, a training thing. So do it biannually. And then also we want you to have in your applications for employment a question that basically asks if a person is racist. I mean, just simply ask them. Get a yes or no. Because later on when they act racist, you can say, hey, you signed right here that you are not a racist. So those are things I would suggest. And then the final thing, Scotty, before we turn it over, is that in that conversation today with Alabama, they are getting the gubernatorial Alabama candidates together for a potential debate right here on New Abolitionist Radio. That's what the, the talk was about earlier, Scotty. So we could be looking towards a gubernatorial debate for Alabama right here on New Abolitionist Radio. Well, let me let me just add to that. I'm not going to tell anybody what to write in their letter to this man, but I'm on, I'm going to stick to prison slavery. And I am reminded of Swift Justice and them asking us to relay to family members to stop participating, stop using J-Pay, stop, you know, calling on the prisoners to stop buying from the commissary. And and so I'm reminded by that and I'm going to honor that. So I will, in my letter, call for an end to the use of prison slave labor, but I'm not going to conflate it with all these other different issues because it's hard enough to get people to even focus on slavery without them being sidetracked by everything else. So me personally, I'm going to stick strictly to the issue of slavery. No doubt. And maybe uh, divestments. I don't know if their portfolio has investments in for-profit prison industries, but it's quite possible. Yes. Um, we do have someone All right. on the line. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and move on, on to uh, Brother Tag, and uh, he can introduce our guest today. I'll just, if you want, Scotty, I can read the intro. Is yes, the there? guest isn't on yet. I'm going to call the guest, but um, I was oh, okay. wondering if Tag was there, if he can unmute himself. But you you can go ahead on, in, two, in, in, what, two minutes, so I'll go ahead and pull up his number and call our guest while you read that intro. Right. Peace and welcome back home, uh, Brother Tag. Looking forward to this today. Uh, 
Craig is a uh, from the Bronx, New York. He was, as I said earlier, he was arrested under the RICO charges they use for gangs in the Bronx, which we have discussed here on New Abolitionist Radio. And he was convicted and sentenced under those blanket charges. And he since achieved a bachelor's degree in justice, which is highly commendable. Uh, way to go, brother. And today we'll be discussing uh, not only what he's been going through, but also a party that's being put together in his honor for his return. Brother Tag. Yes, uh, much appreciated. Uh, peace, Brother Max. Peace, Brother Scotty. And uh, to everyone out there in the Black Talk Radio Network and everyone listening, peace. Oh, greetings to you, Tag. And uh, we're I'm already called and we'll be connecting with our guests here in just a second. But if you would, Tag, if you would just give a brief overview while we wait to connect with him of the Bronx 120 case, which you have done an excellent job of, of bringing to the attention over the, you know, since that occurred and setting up interviews and, and what have you um, for the Black Talk Radio Network. So much appreciative for you keeping uh, this case or the cases, you know, in the limelight, so to speak. Well, thank you for that. And I would just like to underline what y'all were saying as regards the Starbucks prison slavery connection and the important work that y'all have been doing to make sure that that does not escape the narrative out here. You know, I peeped the report that occurred on BTR News and, you know, it was very timely for me because that's exactly what I was wondering, you know, with all the reports that I was seeing and um, accounts of, of this, you know, obviously, you know, heinous and and inappropriate arrest that occurred. You know, I was wondering, well, when is the question of Starbucks in, engagement in prison slavery going to come to the surface? So shouts to y'all for, as usual, making sure that, you know, that, that didn't escape the public eye. Um, now, as for the Bronx 120, uh, as uh, ideally many of those listening now uh, know, and those uh, peeping the archives later know, the Bronx 120 uh, were a group of individuals who were wrongfully snatched up uh, from their community in April of 2016, almost two years to the day from now. And so that is uh, the, what we are looking to commemorate uh, next week, next Friday, uh, at this Welcome Home event. We're looking to commemorate this uh, absolutely despicable uh, mass arrest, uh, you know, under the aegis of these uh, several different agencies of the state, uh, which occurred uh, under dead of night, which, you know, the impact of which is, is still being felt today and, and won't uh, soon uh, dissipate, but uh, we're we're also looking to not only uh, point out that fact and make sure that that that's not forgotten and and that those you know responsible for that are are aware that it isn't forgotten and ideally bring you know um, more heads to uh, the the forefront uh, around this issue so that we can really defend ourselves and our communities against these kinds of you know. Uh, Slavers activities, but also just to celebrate the fact that, you know, people are coming home. Uh, our brother is home now, uh, who ideally will be speaking to uh, any second now, uh, as well as another comrade 
uh, who's now home after several years, uh, unrelated to these raids, but of course, you know, related to the to the overall um, just you know massive uh, over the sweeping you know impact of prison slavery, you know, which just criminalizes you know all of us, especially uh, when when we have uh, darker hues um, or live in in certain areas. Hey, can so, I, yes, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a quote from the Huffington Post about the uh, Bronx 120. And they're in favor of everything that you're talking right here. But they said what was boasted to be the largest gang raid in the history of New York City proved to be a prosecutorial overreach of which New York attorney Heidi Boxhosian and attorney and author Professor Zachary Wolf, Washington, D.C., concur. The fact that these youngsters were poorly organized and lacked the resources that constitute a criminal organization rule out any indication that they are the epitome of organized crime. They can no way be equated to past and present mafia as we know them. Many of the Bronx 120 were penniless. Others did menial jobs and owned no property, but they were, but they were every one of them, supported by their parents. This is a far reach from the statutes of the 1970 RICO Act which is bigger than the Bronx 120, we believe that the latter does not fit in the RICO equation. So it, nobody believes this shit fits, or it's part of my language. And basically, it was just a slave raid. They went out and got all these young men who, in the city of New York City, uh, it would charge $350,000 a year to hold them in incarcerated for however long they're going to be there inside their private juvenile detention facilities, which include Rikers Island. On the issue of RICO charges as our um, series, America is Ferguson, those RICO charges are more applicable to little towns and municipalities like Ferguson. I would even say the city of New York, just all over. That's why we called it Ferguson is America and how we uh, looked at that Ferguson report from the FBI and, and we came up with the notion this Sounds like Rico. But I do want to announce that our guest has joined us, and I'm going to turn it over to Ted. Excellent, and appreciate that. Uh, Peace. How are you doing, Craig? I'm here. I'm here. I'm all right. I'm enjoying Peace, my and welcome freedom. to the New Abolitionist Radio, Brother Craig. Thank you for having me, sir. Yeah, we Thank care. We care what's happening with you, and I know that the people are organizing an event to celebrate your return care. And I know that feels good to you to know that somebody gave it damn, right? It's so great. The letters, the emails, the the books they sent me, I mean, outside of my family, it's so good to know that somebody did care. They, they helped me. So, and when I came home, they helped me. And, and us trying to do things to help the community because that's what I was on before I got locked up. So, How old are you I, now? I'm 26 now. I got arrested when I was 24. I was in grad school. Man. Tag? Yes. Yes. And it's great to hear you say that, that you're enjoying your freedom, brother. It, it really is. And so uh, at any point, because I know this is, is still mad recent and, you know, all that it entails and, you know, some heads are still inside behind this, uh, you know, et cetera. So, if anything is, you know, off the table or the like, you know, just please feel free to 
uh, say a word and we can, you know, move on to a different question. And my case is over, and the only voice I have out here is, is to really speak because I can't, I can't fight fist to fist with the government. All I have is my words, and I have freedom of speech. I know my law, so I'm willing to, I'm, I'm talking the truth. Like, I, I mean, they, I don't care what they got to say about it. They did me dirty. I got, uh, they did me, like, I mean, it, it scarred me for life. Like, it's not like, this is not something that I could just get up and just forget about it. Like, I got a felony. I got to go try to get OSHAs and, 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 and work construction when I was trying to be a lawyer. Like, and now it's, it's like a hundred times harder for me. And it was already hard being black with braids, trying to do what they didn't want me to do. Like, as far as get my education and, and, and take control of, of their world. And I ain't want me to do that. So it really didn't matter when, when, when it came time for me to deliberate and, and, and bail hearings and, and, and pleading to them, like, look, there's this, that, the third going on as far as school and all types of charity events. And, and I've been moved away from the neighborhood five, six years ago. They ain't kids. I still did two years. I mean, like, as opposed I mean, to, to a lot of people that go to jail in and out, two years is nothing. But for me, not being in jail ever, it was something. And it's something for me and my family. I'm the only one that ever been incarcerated, ever. So now I look like the black sheep. And I was the one that was doing the best. You know, uh, if I may, Keith, I remember a couple years after uh, this occurred with you, there was officers in your uh, area who came out on national news and said that they were being forced to fill quotas, arrest quotas, and also told to target young black men in particular. Uh, and that news was an admission of guilt. And they, what they were saying is that the, they were the prey and these guys were the hunters and they were out hunting these young men and women of color. Uh, I would like to ask you some questions. And as Brother Tag said, if any of them is something you don't want to talk about, just let us know. First thing is, where did they hold you at throughout that period? I was in the federal, um, the fed. It was um, the federal detention center, MDC, Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. What was your experiences in that two-year period there in confinement like? Was it traumatic? Uh, was it something that you was able to deal with at least somehow on an emotional level, or was it times when you just broke down because of what was going on around you? What did you witness? Um, well, I witnessed a lot, but. I had a moment in time that I was in the street before, like, I, I cleaned up my act. So it wasn't, the experience in there wasn't traumatic. What was traumatic was the fact of knowing that they could just take everything from me in a blink of an eye. Like, that's what really traumatized me. Right. It wasn't the violence and all, because, I mean, at a point, I went, like, back and forth to church because, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in God, and and when I did get into that place where I was ready to break down, I just went to church. So I never really had a, a complete breakdown. That's not a place where you could break down. People start praying on you. Were you incarcerated with a? Uh, at the time you were incarcerated, you were 24 years old, right? I was 24. I, I was. Um, were you any time also incarcerated with juveniles? Because I know they mix them up there. Um, I was like in there. They don't allow nobody under 18. So. Okay. I was right. around eight. And the last question I want to ask, and then I'll pass it up to anybody else that may want to talk to you, is 
do you remember the moment when it all happened? When they raided and grabbed you and snatched you up? You remember where you were? Which felt like at that time. Yeah, if, if you want to share it, we would like to hear it. All right. Well, I was in school. I was I was preparing because it was right before finals. I mean, I just I got out of class. I went home. I had my own um, my apartment. I went to basketball practice. I was the coach for the University of um, Bridgeport. I was the grad assistant coach, so they was paying me to coach. And um, I was setting up a, a stop the violence tournament, so it was a lot that I was doing. I was going to other schools and other elementary schools, talking to the kids, getting them on board for this this stop the violence campaign that I had going. I, I worked with on um, DJ Self, so we had like it was a lot going on. I was in um, like studying. And then once I'm finished studying, I go to practice. Once I'm done practicing, I go promote, and then I come home. So I came home that night, and my son was on vacation from school. He was um, he was five at the time, five or six at the time. He was six at the time, and I'm I'm bringing him with me everywhere, bringing him to class, bringing him, and we just in a, a like a bubble, like we're in our own bubble of like just happy. I feel like things is is looking up. Everybody's talking, people stopping in the street, waving at me like, yo, you're doing good things. And I'm just like, I sat there that night, and I'm like, man, if I could pass these finals, life can't get no better for me. Life can't get, I mean, I, like, I'm at a point where life is just great, like never been so good for me. And I went to sleep, and I just woke up to, like, banging on my door. But the, the thing is, the officers know me because, I do a lot. I used to do a lot of events in the community, so they had known me by face, but I wasn't giving no trouble. You understand what I'm saying? So when they came in, and like they got a warrant for me, I'm like, a warrant for what? Like, what, what do I do? Like, they came to the school to get you? They came to my apartment. I lived like right oh. across the street from the school. I was off camp. I was on off campus because I was I was 24, like you know, and a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds staying in the dorm. So I went and got an off campus apartment. I was in grad school. I was I was actually three classes away, so I just had to finish these finals, and I would have graduated. Damn. But um, they came, they came, and like I didn't really know the severity. I didn't know because I never been arrested. I didn't know. But when they said I got a warrant, I'm like, all right, well, I should bail out by tonight because I don't have no record. I don't have no record. I'm in school. Like you talking about uh, indictment. And, and and the charges is the Rico and guns and all that. And I don't have no guns. I don't have no drugs here. I don't know what you're talking about. So I I I, I got arraigned, and and we was trying to fight for the bail. And they told a couple lies on me. They said I got shot a couple times, and I got shot trying to shoot somebody. And and I never got shot before. So the stories they were saying was like, it was like out of the out of this world. I looked back and my mother crying, and it's like. And they trying to tell him I got school in the morning. Like, you, this kid done moved from the neighborhood, went and got his bachelor's, went back to school. He's almost finished with his math. That's six years worth of school. So what could he have been, how could he have been running a criminal organization when he's out of state and all of this stuff is going on in the Bronx? They didn't care. They, didn't, they figured, like, all right, they sit me down. And, and the thing about the feds is a lot of uh, hearsay. Hearsay is what works for them. Like, it's not physical evidence. If they have physical evidence, you're done. 
But if you, they don't, they can still finish you with what somebody else says. So they was figuring that, all right, they lock up 120 people, at least 20, 30 people is going to fold and start telling them stuff that happened. But there wasn't nothing to really tell about me. So I was sitting there for, like, I was sitting there thinking I was going to get out on bail. And they took my bail away. They gave me a million dollar bail or anything because we got black family. We was gonna a come million up dollar bail, did you say? Yeah, my bail was a million dollars. So I needed like uh, eight people that uh, eight people that made at least a hundred thousand. So, but and and I got good family members and they they legit. So we came up with the signatures. We came up with the plan to finish the payments. I'm thinking I'm gonna get out so I can go back to school and do my stop the violence. But then the prosecutors appealed it. Who they had a cooperating witness that I mean didn't really like me from when I was younger, and he he told them some things and they just they ran with it until the end, until the end of my case when the judge realized what was going on. Like he wanted me to go to trial, but it's like I'm gonna go to trial against these people. I already dealt with them lying on me. They're just gonna lie on me again. Then I'm gonna lose and I have to do ten years, and I'm not. I, I took a plea that I didn't even do. I didn't do it. Like I swear, you, like my plea was a hundred pounds of weed, and and and, and distribution. And that's not what was going on at all. Like I never seen that much weed in my life. In comparison, the retired firefighter who just shot at a fourteen-year-old black boy who was asking for directions is already out on fifty thousand dollars in bail. But you were given a million dollars in freaking bail. <laughs> Anybody else want to ask anything? Um, yeah. Yeah, I just want to point out something. You know, this is why we set up btrcommunity.com. But Otis in the chat room um, posted some excerpts from, from some articles. This article comes from the Village Voice. I'll just read the excerpt. Um, and the name was familiar to me. And I was like, hey, this old, this old Obama guy. This old Obama guy. You know what I'm saying? But also the dangers of social media and Facebook and YouTube, uh, how they use this to, to make connections that really don't, not even there really just cause you, I accept friend requests from people all day long. I don't know who these people are. I figure they are following me because of the work that I do or they're requesting my friendship. They could be mass murderers or serial killers or, or anything or involved in all kind of crime. And so, you know, could you then come after me and say, hey, this is your Facebook friend, you know, so we going to charge you under RICO, you know. But this is the excerpt. It says, then U.S. Attorney Preet, uh, ba- how do you say Barrera. Barrera. Uh, Preet Barrera included the social media use as part of the evidence against the Bronx 120, saying they use Facebook and YouTube to promote, protect, and grow their ranks. Uh, the death of Murphy's daughter, the arrest of his son, and his own efforts to stop the cycle of violence were the subject of a New York New Yorker feature in 2015. When you take 103 individuals out of any community, Murphy said, referring to the 2014 raids, you absolutely and positively take away a generation. You're weakening our community. And just by the things that you described that you were involved in, coaching basketball, uh, going to the elementary school, speaking to the children, launching a Stop the Violence campaign, 
removing you from that those communities certainly I would say weaken those communities but I just wanted to to highlight that that we need to be careful about what we post on social media I'm not saying that you posted anything or anything nah, like but, that I'm just speaking in general that. I we, can get into that you are absolutely correct because look what my original dream when I was in um, let's say uh, fourth grade like and I had because my family took care of me I had one of the best phones so I I used to rap my voicemail like uh, uh, leave a message uh, what's up bro and and I always wanted to make music so when I got to a point where it was like alright I got friends and we we popular so we gonna make this music I didn't know the music business I just knew to make music the girls gonna like it and I could get more views and 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 I could just be more like I, my voice could reach everybody's ear. So along with the music, I I made I do events like parties and stuff. And anybody know that in parties they play music. So if 300 people's coming out to my party and I got music going, 300 more people will listen to me because they're listening to the music. And in the day and age that we was growing up in, we had to be tough. And gangster rap was what was like what was running like 50 Cent and, and the Jim Jones and, and Jay-Z and Biggie Smalls and so you got people that they're artistic they'll say certain stuff that may not have never happened you know what I'm saying and it's like some CB4 stuff huh like 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 they'll say alright um rap about guns and stuff like that and drugs and money and girls but never lived that life ever and and it was like for them, I mean, I'm not going to say that they had an angle, but they wasn't. It was like they're so powerful enough that they could say that we did this and then say the song and, and, and they can make it stick, even though that's not what's going on. And that's what was happening. So my evidence was my music videos. But on Facebook, it's a lot of me promoting, like, my Stop the Violence, my Breast Cancer um, Awareness Tournaments. My March of Dime for Baby tournaments, a lot of my parties, back-to-school parties, they've seen it. It's not like they didn't see it, but then again, they'll take, say, I write a rap lyric from Biggie Smalls or Tupac, and it's, it's derogatory, like it's, it's derogative, like it's, 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 it's a violent post, but I'm, I'm mimicking the lyrics of the song. They're going to take it and say that I was trying to do this, like this is what, see, this is what he's about, like. But it's really in all the black community. They're not black. They're not gonna understand. They probably don't listen to our type of music. They used it to make it seem like I was a bad guy. My lawyer is like, yo, that's lyrics from Tupac. And Tupac is dead. Like you, it's not him saying that he did this and that. There we could prove it, but they just didn't care. So you. So it was really white fear that was really pushing. Um, all of I, it. I don't. I don't believe there's a such thing as white fear. Okay, these people are not in fear fear of us, Max. Mm-mm. Because if they were in fear of us, they wouldn't bother us. Okay, people that you were in fear of, and we talked about this last night on um, 
um, Real Life Radio, part of the Foundational Radio Network and Black Talk Radio Network. The podcast is posted, and we talked about, you know, this this so-called fear, this white fear. Like, you know, that kind of perpetuates the myth that we really are dangerous people. They use that as an excuse. These cops don't be fearing for their life when they gunning down little old ladies or, or women or children or, or what have you. But going back to what the brother was saying, though, you know, I do. I have been working sometime for some years to help promote Clear the Airways project. Shout out to Brother Kwabana Rasuli and and all those who work with him in different organizations. And what Clear the Airwaves is about is clearing the airways of that type of music. And you're a perfect example of what what they have been saying. All of these corporate radio stations owned by iHeart Radio. Kathy Hughes, all of this is the type of music that they give awards for. Get you get paid for. They get paid for it. And then you hear all of these mainstream corporations running advertisement on these gangster rap stations. So that's a bit of hypocrisy dollars. to say that here's here and you were a child at the time, here's a child who's just emulating What's been put out there in mainstream culture, and now you want to use it to enslave him? It's just yeah. disgusting to me. Hey, uh, well, guys. Now. Yes, sir. I just want to put this in perspective for people who are just tuning in and then allow any callers or our hosts to uh, have any final questions for the evening. But what we're talking with right now, this young brother right here, Craig, uh, was 24 when he was incarcerated. He was a... a a help to his community. He was working with the schools. He was raising his uh, son and uh, doing everything that society says you're supposed to do. And using these RICO charges against young people in the Bronx, 120 of them, they went in and just snatched them up from everywhere with these blanket charges and destroyed, basically tried to destroy your life with no repercussion whatsoever. They didn't care at all. And he's telling his story right now here on New Abolitionist Radio. Um, uh, he wanted to respond, Max. To add on to this? Max, I would any like for maybe that might want to say uh, something. Yes, uh, please. So, uh, really? oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, no, please. Well, well, Max, uh, Tag, are you yes. there? Can y'all hear me? I'm having awesome. issues. I'm having issues with the board, and I'm trying to work through those, but. I wanted to hear his response to my comments, um, you know, because he was about to say something um, in, in, you know, to the fact that mainstream celebrates gangster rap and then for the U.S. courts to ch to this attorney to then use gangster rap against this child. Yes. It's like, all right, well, to me, going through it, it was like I learned something. I learned that it's like, they're not going to understand the dream. They're not going to understand that you got kids out here that that's trying to make it far. Uh, not trying to make it far as far as being wealthy and successful in music. Sometimes as they weigh out whether uh, uh, I heart signs them or because if I got a song that's playing and everybody likes it, I could get a, 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 a booking for $500. And it's like, they 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 assign a, a rapper that's promoting all this gangster stuff and he came from wherever he came from and he ain't never been involved in nothing in his life. But once you got somebody that's really out there and 
and seen things and they put it on wax, they use it against them. So I, I changed up my way of making music now. Like, I don't at all, like, I don't try to promote violence. Like, I just make music that I know will, will get some girls to dance or, or make people happy. Like, I, like in a, it's been working for me. Like, I would love to, to rap about the old stuff, but it's like, I'm not going to say I'm scared to rap about it. It's just, I just don't want to go through what I went through all over again. And it's like, to see, and I sit here and I watch certain things, like, and I see people making $7.5 million promoting their gang and, and promoting shooting people and all of this. And it's like, damn, like, how you took me out? And I was, I was, I was the one that was trying to, like, I was trying to take it the way that y'all told us to take it. Like, you told us to go to school, get 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 a, a degree, leave the neighborhood, get a job, and try to give back to your neighborhood. And that was everything I was trying to do. And it, 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 it I wouldn't say that, I mean, to me, I failed. Like, I failed at, at trying. I failed, and, and now I'm here trying to figure it all out, and it's all messed up. Like, to other people, they'll think, like, oh, I look up to you, and, and I'm like, yo, but I'm not successful. Like, I don't, I, I'm I'm in the trenches. Like, I'm back where I started. I'm back in my mom's crib, like, with nothing. And it, it's not fair, but it's just life. Like, they're they going to they sign certain people. I don't know, like, if, if the government is on them. Or maybe because they're signed to iHeart to get some white folks that's protecting them, but they ain't no white folks protecting me. So I was easy. I guess I was easily. I was easy to take out. I mean, I'm, I'm from a middle class family, and because I mean, it's not like they didn't know. They knew. Cause I, my story is way different from everybody else's. They knew what was going on. Like they knew. They knew. They got my wiretaps. They knew. I'm telling people stop doing what they doing. I, like yo, we could do better things in the community. I'm here trying to stop the violence. Yeah, I was running around crazy. Um and, and they didn't know I was promoting music. I wasn't talking about killing nobody. I wasn't talking about hurting nobody. And they didn't care. They um, didn't care. Uh, we do have a question from a caller. I think Otis wants to chime in with a question or comment. Otis? Oh, and by the way, by the way, we will be sharing some of your music here tonight at the top of the hour. Otis? I can't unmute, Scotty. You're unmuted. We hear you. Oh, okay. It, it was saying I'm muted. I was just going to say to that young man, he got caught up. That's why I put the the, the side note to Scotty. I mean, all I want to say is, first of all, young man, Craig, stay strong, but also try to see if you can't work on making these people expunge your record while you're staying strong there, there should be some course for you to take in trying to get this off your record as a matter of fact you're in New York and I see where that uh, Cynthia Nixon is running if she wins I, if I were you I'd be one of the first people down there at her office trying to make sure that's one of the first things she does is to get some of y'all with clean records so you can go on with your life without this uh, the only other thing I was going to say is I, I put it in the, in the chat room because I've been following this five or six years. William Benny is a whistleblower that came out and said this isn't just the local New York City police. This is the FBI. This is William Holder, Holder, Pete Barrera, Comey, who's in the limelight now. All of these people are instrumental in this. They are the ones that swept up the data and gave it to the New York City gang forces. And Benny 
actually is a whistleblower and you can look up his name, Bill Benny, and he'll tell you that's exactly what's happening. They even used the warrants and removed, like he, like the Craig was saying about the information they used on him. They get the metadata, give it to the police, and then refuse to let them even tell you in court what the chain of custody is for your evidence. That's why they had so much information on him with no no warrants to prove how they got it. Right, I and mean, I would just add, though, the information that they had on them wasn't evidence to support charging him with anything. Come no. on. Well, I would have been doing a lot more time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so... I, um, the bad time, two years, is nothing. So we do have another caller, a couple of more callers. I want to go to 414-414. Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our guest tonight? Rob in Milwaukee. Uh, greetings to uh, hosts and the rest of the callers and listeners on the line. Peace, Rob. I did. Um, I've done five years in prison. I'm not proud of it. And um, I am, I just turned 38 years old. Um, I did my time uh, a little bit of time ago, getting close to uh, 20 years ago, roundabout now. But um, as of late, um, I've been dealing with a traumatic brain injury, okay? And um, the hardest part of dealing with the injury is that people see me walking around, so they assume that I'm doing fine. But my mm-hmm. face, my throat um, has uh, been dislocated, right? So <clears throat> what I have for the young brother, man, you are brilliant. Um, and as long as you got your health, um, man, you'll be right back. Just stay focused. Keep your head up, man. That's it. As long as we got our health, our mind, and our body, man, anything, um, materials, uh, material, anything we gain, material, you know, uh, my favorite saying is money come and go. You understand what I'm saying? And what I'm learning at this point in my life is that, like, it's more about the relationships that we build. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, money, but, you know, they print the money. You know what I'm saying? You can, you know, a bunch of money can be printed all the time. They set the value of the money. You understand what I'm saying? And it take, took for me to lose um, everything. And when I say everything, I mean my ability to... Um, just show up and be one of the best looking people in the room like what I've been dealing with changed the way I look, the way I walk, the way I talk, everything you understand what I'm saying? And I yeah. I really realized that um, man, as long as I got my health you can figure it out and thank you for taking the call Thank you and you're right I, mean, I walk around here like Everybody think like, all right, because right when I came home, I hopped in the studio. I made some songs that in my neighborhood, it's like, uh, it's, it's everybody, like, people hear it. It's playing in the clubs. I go on a little tour, make a little money rap, and I do a couple parties, and people think everything is all up and up. But me, I'm not comfortable. I'm around people that's comfortable. And, and it's like, damn, like, like, I, I, I think every day, like, what if this wouldn't have happened to me? Where I could have been at? I wanted to go to law school to get my certi- certification to be a lawyer. 
and build a law firm in my neighborhood to help all the people because I'm probably the only one that didn't have a record. So it was like, all right, well, here's a legal way where I could I could make a bunch of money by being a lawyer and representing these people or even owning a law firm and making people represent these people and I get a check for it. And they knew it was on Facebook, it was on the phones, it was on everything. Like, they knew, and it was like, it didn't matter. Like, I, 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 the only reason I went back to get my master's is because I went to an interview at FAMU Law School, and I walked in there, and there was this guy, he was, like, feminine, and he was like, oh, my God, look at this thug, get this thug out of here. Like, I'm like, damn, like, I'm probably, I probably got better grades than you do. Like, you, you're not even giving me a chance, like, but all right, so let me go get another degree and let me go build up my resume and I'll come back. I'll come back. So when I do come with my master's and my and my and my, my bachelor's and all of this stuff that I've been for the community, you can't just look in my head and look in my face and, and see I'm a tall black man with a scar and I got a pass and just say I'm a piece of shit like I'm not I'm smarter than half of y'all. Like, I know what I I know what I could do. It didn't it, it didn't matter to them. Madison, and that's what hurt me the most. I, I could do the jail. I could sit there, and I, I'm not. I'm, I'm a strong person. Like I'm, I'm I've been strong. I, it's, I could deal with it. I dealt with it. I didn't come out psycho, and I didn't hang myself. I dealt with it. But it, what traumatized me was the fact that no matter how well that I'm doing, these people could take it all away from me. No matter if I'm doing good. Or bad. You gonna make me do two years? I might as well did something deserved two years, but I didn't. I didn't, and I copped out just to get out of jail. They tried to tell me, cause I wasn't gonna take the hundred pounds, cause I know I didn't sell a hundred pounds. Like even when I was a little kid, playing with the nickel and dime, and, and, and it wasn't a hundred pounds, and that's not a federal charge. They tried to tell me I was I was on the corner with guns selling weed. That's not what I was doing, so I wasn't taking that plea. My lawyer said, all right, well, because I was trying to get it dropped to a misdemeanor because I know if I got a misdemeanor, I could probably still work in the office somewhere. I could still apply to, to certain places that are taking me serious as a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. They're not asking me about no misdemeanor. They told me, I already had two years in. They told me, if I want to fight for a misdemeanor, I got to wait a whole nother year. I'm like a whole nother year in prison and people over here getting stabbed and you don't know what. You wake up in prison, you living for the day. You're not living for tomorrow and you're trying to survive so you could go home but it's what's in front of you you don't know any minute any minute could be a, a gang riot it could be uh the tear gas the, the, the co's could beat you up you get into something with a co because he's telling you to strip and you don't want to strip they come jump you throw you in the box it's like, i don't want to be there for another year so right, i'm gonna take the plea and i'm gonna go home like you gonna mess up the rest of my life but at least i got my freedom like at least I wouldn't even say freedom. At least I got a chance to live, like, because I'm not free. I'm on probation for nothing. Like, I ain't do nothing. It ain't like, and everybody knows it. Everywhere I go, people, yo, you didn't deserve that. I'm like, I know. I know, but I'm still here, like, I mean, and another thing that I'm making the music, it boosts my street credibility, you know what I'm saying? But it wasn't worth it. Like, I didn't, I mean, for all that, I should have been selling 100 pounds. I would have had 20 pounds in the in the stash. Something you think you won't, you won't charge me with a hundred pounds, and and you know that I'm a smart kid, and it's not gonna be something left. So basically, you putting me back out in the street with this felony, and you you want me to go sell drugs. So how I'm gonna make some good money now? How? 
without entertainment. How? That I'm is gonna, how. I, how I'm gonna, I got to do construction for $500 a week. If I wasn't smart enough to put my money in, in events and, 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 and all types of clothing and all that stuff, how I'm going to eat? I got a whole son. Like, I, I was trying to go to school. I want to be in the 100K, 200K bracket, not $20,000. Like, I didn't go to school for that. It's like, man, I'm out here. They trying to give me janitor work. And my God, like, yo, bro, yo bro, I did six years of school. I did things that them CEOs could not do. My degree was bigger than they CEOs. The, the people that's running and telling us what to do, I was smarter than all of them. I even got accepted into a master's program when I was in jail because I thought I was going to do five years. So I got the stuff together. I mean, it was a correspondence program where they was going to send me to work through the mail. And I was doing, I would have did it and got my master's by the time I finished the five years. And it was like, like people in there couldn't believe it. Like, I'm the only one fighting to do this. And and it's like, I ain't deserve this. Like, the CEO's looking at me like, yo, you different. Like, hey, Craig. Brother Craig? Yes, sir. What I would like to offer is that what you're describing right now is something that is experienced yeah. throughout our criminal justice uh everywhere and it's why 95% of all federal cases, all felony cases end up in a plea bargain where even innocent people who never did a damn thing are faced with these life changing choices that force them to commit, to uh, plead guilty to crimes that they never committed and that's happening in 95% of all cases it's a constitutional crisis that violates the 6th amendment guaranteeing you the right to a fair and speedy trial. Well, I would also like to just reiterate what Otis said. If you want to be a lawyer, don't give up on that dream. All the things that you described to us that you went to school for are still possible. Okay? So so you can overcome the roadblock that they tried to put up. And I'm sure some people out there that are willing to help you, but I would I would look to get my record expunged or even seek a pardon. Uh, from the governor, but but you know, just don't give up on on that dream. If that's what you really want to do, is become an attorney so that you can help people like yourself that's in that found themselves in situations. I would not give up on that. But listen, we do got another caller. But I'm gonna ask uh, Brother Ross to hold on for just a second as we need to take our station identification break, and we also want to share this track from Brother Craig. Uh, lock up the lock up louder mix. Max, you want to take us to break? Yes, sir. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed. Uh, co-hosting today is also Tag, and we're talking about the Bronx 120, and one of them is here today. We'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Study law. Wake up in the morning, 
brush my teeth and spin the yard. Always on point, could he catch me off guard? If a pussy nigga talking, swear to God I pull his card. If you feeling froggy, then leap, nigga, just like a frog. Had to wait about an hour for a 15 minute call. Had 300 minutes once a month, man, that's all. Had a lock in the sock, fuck around and break your jaw. Being locked up in the feds, I swear to God I seen it all. Seen a nigga turn the bitch, fold up and wanna snitch. Cause they bitches getting fucked in the town is what they miss. So they working as an agent, so they case get dismissed. For my niggas in the feds that I truly love and miss. Everybody working out, so when they take that jail pick and they send it to the town, all the bitches on their dick. Code D's on that G shit, the building got lit. Had the rock and Nancy Brown, what I kept the great fit. They was trying to give me 10, but I'm built for this shit. I ain't breaking under pressure, cause I know what I did. Had to sit up for a while, that's what you do when you bid. But now a nigga free, I gotta think about my kid. My son getting older, so I gotta do it big. Man, I gotta do it big. I ain't trying to do it big, yo. Listen to a real nigga, if you really fuck with me. Watch who you fucking with and keeping that your company. And if you hating and sucking dick, you just an enemy. And when you see me, keep your distance and that energy. All these niggas wanna be is a bunch of little mini-me's. I'm geeked up off the Hennessy, just think about some memories. At the age 26, they hit me with a felony. Fucking on the five, I'ma kill him with these melodies. Niggas see me getting money, so it come with jealousy. Watch how I flex, pop out with celebrities. The biggest boss in the city, nigga, we made a legacy. The biggest boss in the city, nigga, we made history. And I'm stepping to the club with your rent on my feet. Put some ice on my wrist so they spot me from deep. Do this for my loved ones that be sleeping in peace. See, I'm worried about the chicken, dumb niggas wanna beef. Niggas ain't official, they be working with the D's. They be chatting, they be ratting, working with the police. 120 got indicted, 58 was cold D's. Used to pray every day, like, help me, Lord, please. I'm a hood that you been around, free my niggas sitting down. Fuck the number 12, cause them niggas try to shut me down. Fuck the live bitches, cause you know them bitches get around. I be the one to hold my city down. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio, and uh, you were just listening to Brother Craig Lewis, who was on the air with us today. One of the Bronx, Bronx 120 who was uh, forced into pleading guilty to crimes he did not commit when the government, FBI, decided to use RICO charges against teenagers and uh, people within the community. We do have so, a caller. Yes, caller. Greetings to you, Max. Um, Scott Scotty. Brother Tag and um, the young brother Craig Lewis, peace and love to you. Um, I just wanted to encourage you as well. I just wanted to first say, you did not fail. Don't ever say that you failed. Don't let those words come out your mouth. You did not fail. They derailed your life. People came into your life and derailed it. You never failed. You were doing what you were supposed to do. I used to live in East Chester Projects. I lived in 1240. And that was over 20 years ago. For a couple of years, I lived there. And that's when they would have wanted to raid that place because it was insane back then. This is like the height of the crack era. And my, my one of my best friends, actually, we had a rap group together. He lives there now. And when I went to visit him, it looked completely different. And I asked him, I said, well, what's it like now? And he said, actually, it's, it's a lot better. He said, to be honest with you, it's nothing like it used to be because he visited me there 20 years ago when I was there. 20 plus years ago when I was there. So he knew what it was like. And um, I just, this is just really, really crazy. You started, when you were talking, you reminded me of Khalif Browder. Um, and a lot of what he talked about, which later on, of course, he committed suicide, sadly. Um, 
the psychology of having his life derailed like that and the inability to do anything about it is what pushed him over the edge. I would just say to focus on improving your situation as best you can because if you focus on that, it can take you to a dark place. And you're doing, you were doing great things before. You will continue to do great things now. And you kind of blew my mind when you were talking about these connections between uh, Facebook and what people were saying, you know, people, I guess, um, would t like you were saying about the lyrics, Pac's lyrics, Big's lyrics, and how they would use this as a, a, a means to get at you to, to ruin your life. And I remember years ago, there was a rapper named X-Rated from the West Coast. He was the very first rapper, if I remember correctly, that went to jail based on the stuff he said in his raps. He recounted a murder that they claim he actually committed. And then he took a photograph with a forty-five caliber revolver, which they said was the forty-five caliber revolver kill, used in the killing that he rapped about. And that was the very first time that had happened, if I remember correctly, in the history of hip-hop and music in this country. So now they're literally taking other people's lyrics and attaching them to you. And then also, I've said this before, that Facebook is the Alphabet Boys playground. So they're now using metadata to connect you to people that you may not actually really know that well or be connected to. And I wanted to ask you something, um, because just from what you were saying and just the life that you were, you were leading prior to going into jail, and I don't know what the other 120 young men were doing, but from what uh, Max was saying earlier in the show, that a lot of them were being cared for by their parents. So, like, even though they may not have been, been working, because we know, of course, the unemployment situation is just atrocious for our people, but ultimately, um, I, I, I wanted to know what you say, because I, I think in my mind it was a concerted effort to actually ruin the lives of specific people who they thought were a threat to the system. Everything that you were doing was a threat to the system the way it is now. And they had to stop you from, from, in their way, stop you from your life coming into the, its full fruition to help other people like you avoid the situation that they threw you into. So um, based on the people that were caught up in this, were there other, uh, other people that were like you as far as doing the right thing, trying to do things in the community that was positive, that ended up in that roundup? Um, and... Do you think that it was a concerted effort to actually derail what you were doing because they have been watching you for a while before they sprung the trap as far as this situation was concerned? Well, there was a handful of kids that was like, because like I said, like I'm out of my, my group or the gang or whatever they want to call it, I'm like one of the older dudes. I'm 26 now. Like it was a lot of well, people that got locked up when they was 18, 19, 20. And a couple of them actually were in school, going to trade school. A couple of them got booked in school, too. You know, I'm just the one that made it the farthest. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And now, that being said, you got the people my age was really about that life. Like, they was really about that life. And it was like I was trying to take them out of that life by, like, bringing them to the schools, bringing them to these certain places, throwing these events for charity, giving them their own team to show them, like, yo, it's more to life than the Bronx, it's more to life than the problems like this. Once you read the projects, you start looking like, damn, like, I don't got to worry about, I don't got to worry about this down the corner, I don't got to worry about this officer right here, because we out of town and they not bothering us, so we can live our life. And 
that I feel like they, they knew what I was trying to do. I mean, because it's, it's all over the wiretaps, it's all over the Facebook, it's all over the Instagram. They tried to, they even went so low to showing my son throwing up a gang sign and tried to use it against me. Like, but mm. they wouldn't show me in a crowd of kids holding up the stop the violence sign. They wouldn't show that type of stuff to the judge. Mm. Like, they was trying to, like, like, hide the good that I was doing. And, and and I had more good than bad, you know, and I feel like yeah they was trying to stop stop me from opening up a law firm in the middle of the hood, defending people like that that they knew that was doing wrong. But it was like these people are my friends, like I grew up with these people. So it's like I care for them. They don't care for them. The lawyers they gon' hire don't care for them. They don't got no money for a lawyer. I can represent them for three thousand dollars. Ain't nobody gonna take two thousand dollars to do no case. Right. And to me, like I know when it comes around, I, I, I was raised in the neighborhood. And so I left to try to get better. I tried to better myself. I try. I knew that I didn't know the severity of education until I graduated high school. And the way people used to look at me because I got my degree. I mean, I got my um my my diploma. Then it took to another level when I got my first degree. And I come back home and everybody, and I'm in a party, yo, shout out K-Ron, shout out Flock, shout out Flock for, for graduating, getting a degree, man, we proud of you. I'm like, yo, I'm I'm learning, not only that I'm learning, I'm getting the respect from old, older people that's established for doing this, so I'm like, alright, let me take it to another level. And the more educated I got was the more open to the world that I seen what I could do. Like, as opposed to someone that don't know nothing and they just scared to try it. Me, I know what I can do, so I'm going to try it, whether I fail or if I, or if I win. I mean, and, like, it was just it was just crazy, man, to even know that, like, no matter what, like, no matter what, like, just the hood that I come from, they could do something like that because I'm cool with this person, I'm cool with that person, and they'll take my words and twist it up and throw me in, in federal prison. It's not like they threw me in the state. Mm -hmm. It's the government. Like, was that a privately run federal prison? Um, yeah, I think it was. Three hundred and fifty grand a year. Yeah, they they they, they took one hundred and twenty of us. So you do the math. Exactly. Not to mention, I was a part of a conspiracy with at least twenty people that I never met before in my life. Like, I never met them, never spoke to them, nothing. How? cannot be in a conspiracy with a man that I don't know. So what did we conspire to do? It got so bad. It was so bad in there. Like, they tried to break through. It got to a point where it was like, I almost forgot who I was. Like, until I came home. And everybody showed me love. Like, and, and I posted a picture and got a thousand and something likes. Like, and people telling me like, yo, people that I don't, people that they want to say that we was having problems with, write me like, yo, bro, I felt it for you, bro. Like you ain't deserve that, bro. Like, I mean, and brother Craig, yes, sir. I think that would be a good transition into tag explaining to us what's coming up, uh, the welcome home party that is going on, and how people can be a part of that. And uh, then I want to give you an opportunity to make any final comments you want to make. Uh, we have to get a few more stories out tonight before we shut it down. And I'd, I'd like to have you come back and maybe tell us more. And in addition to that, that track that you played was hot, dude. Uh, if I can get a hold of it, maybe I can put something together to add to it. 
as far as like right. video or something like that. All right, that'd be cool, man. That'd be cool. Just had to get it off my chest. Like that's 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 the most gangster gonna get out of me. Now I'm on. I'm on. Don't Hold on, brother. Remember these right. words: that which does not kill us only makes us stronger. Yeah, brother so. Tag. Yeah, peace. So, I mean, I know that you asked for me to speak on it, but you know, Craig, you you've been, you know, putting this together as as well, and and you've been putting a lot of uh, of work in around, you know, making sure that the welcome home is, you know, what it needs to be. So. Uh, I, I, I recall in, in some of our discussions, you're speaking about the fact that, you know, a theme around this is that they're not going to stop us, you know, that regardless of, you know, what they did, they're not going to derail you, you know, as as it was put, which is, I think, a, a good way to put it. They attempted to de- derail you, you know, but as far as, um, you know, in spite of that, just continuing forth you know, putting putting work together, continuing to pick up, you know, in the community where where you left off, um, you know, before this occurred. You know, what what could you tell people that they uh, might could expect at the welcome home turn up uh, next Friday? And are are there any things that you have, you know, in in the works uh, in particular that you're, you know, looking forward to at that? Well, um, for the welcome home, man, I just. I'm, I'm looking for. I mean, I'm looking for this, this, this love and this, this like, this, this happy and meet new people. Just, I'm, I'm not, I'm, in the, I'm not looking for too much, you know. But I'm, I'm actually for the people that took their time out to even do this for me. Like that's what I'm more ecstatic about to just be around people that's genuinely just nice people. I, I live in a neighborhood where there's a lot of people, they don't care, like, they like dodging the battle. So, for people just to reach out to me and just want to do something like that, that's touching for me. I mean, I got a bunch of artists that want to rap and stuff, but them even being, wanting to be a part of it is touching to me. I'm just looking for a good time with my guy. No and, doubt. Um, and, oh, pardon. Um, I just did a, a, a homeless shoe job. I gave away a bunch of my shoes that I had from way back when. And I gathered up at least 100 shoes for people around the community, and we donated half of it to um, um, a nonprofit organization called I'm From the Soul. He walks around the city and gives shoes to homeless people, and then the other half went to Haiti. Um, I got uh, a Zuby, um Grammys, and I started at my school um, that I went to to reward the kids that won't make it on the dean's list to reward them for the activities that's going on, like the best fraternity, best sorority, best-dressed male, best-dressed female, prettiest girl, you know, most attractive male, stuff like that I got going on. That's actually this weekend. And this summer in ECG, on East Chester Project, we're going to do a back-to-school um, little, um, not a fundraiser, but like a gift bag where I'm going I'm to get a bunch of book bags and put my logo on it, folders, pens, t-shirts, probably hold a little tournament, dancers, rappers, and like just show the people in the neighborhood that we're not bad like, because they took 120, they took a bunch of us out of there, and I feel like I could be a voice for my people, because I got the education, and if they're not going to listen to me, and I'm talking to the kids, who they going to listen to? I mean, so we're going to do that up there, and then we're going to do one more and come here and just try to clean up the image, and I'm going to continue this music thing, and I'm going to continue doing what I got to do to get by, and hopefully it, it, it pays off in the long run. I'm going to go back and get my degree. 
me and I'm going to chase this. Uh, if I can't be a tony, I'm going to try to at least own the law firm. So that that can help. You know, I'm 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 going to continue my mission. I got God with me. Man. I can't take him or my education away. Word. <laughs> we want to thank you for being here with us on New Abolitionist Radio today. And when you uh, move forward in your endeavor to help those in your community as uh, an attorney of sorts, in whatever way you move, always try to remember what's happening with the 13th Amendment and its exception clause, which allows for legalized slavery. It's the reason why they were the state was paying $350,000 a year for you to be incarcerated. Man, I know. They had us working for five, uh, for 10 cents a day. Working hard on the five, for 10 cents a day. That ain't slavery. I don't know what day. it is. Exactly. Thank you so much, brother no Craig. Um, and, uh, pay, yeah, tune in to New Abolitionist Radio and keep up with what we're doing. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Peace. Hey, Scotty, um, I know... Uh, Normally, I would say that everybody should pray for this brother, but let me tell you something. I'm claiming it. He's going to be all right. You could feel the strength in him, and this is just making him even stronger. Right. I, I agree, Max, and like you said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger, and I'm just glad that the callers came in and gave him that encouragement. And he can do that, what he talked about, you know, and I, and, and he seems to have that drive and that willpower, and I'm sure that he will accomplish those things. So it, it's, you know, it's a tragic situation uh, for anybody to go through, but it's also a learning experience. And now he's aware that slavery was never abolished, and he can look at it from that perspective. Yes experiencing it at 10 cents an hour well Scotty there are some stories I certainly wanted to get out today we won't have enough time to get them all out we got maybe an 8 minute run where we could just get a few so I want to cover some of them one is another tragedy that has happened recently to Deontay Yarber uh, he was in a Walmart parking lot and cops ran up on him and uh, saw the car and the car fit the description of a stolen car so they say and they end up shooting over 30 shots into this car full of people killing him uh, it happened in Barstow, two hours outside of Los Angeles. Uh, they killed 26-year-old Deontay Yarber, who was believed to be unarmed, but was driving his cousin and friend to a local Walmart on the morning of April 5th. Police have alleged, alleged that Yarber was wanted for questioning in a stolen vehicle case and that he accelerated the car towards the officers when they tried to stop him. But his family and their attorney argued that the young father posed no threat and should not have been treated as a suspect in the first place. I also read on more... that, Max, that there are witnesses outside of, you know, the people that was in the car that he was not accelerating toward the officers. And it was also a young lady in the car who was shot as well, but she survived. Yes, uh, one of the witnesses said the police took him away for no reason, said Brittany Chandler, the mother of Yarber's 19-month-old daughter, Leilani. The police should be held accountable for this. They are sick people for them to be able to shoot someone down in broad daylight. And uh, this shooting happened weeks after the police in Northern California killed Stephon Clark, an unarmed father who was standing in his family's backyard. We're hearing these stories over and over again, man. These, this whole system seems to be driven by hashtags of dead people. And I'm, I'm just sick of repeating the same insanity over and over again. It's almost you can predict what we're going to do next 
because of this young brother being killed. And we're going to follow a pattern that has very little variation, and the conclusion is going to be no justice. And this is why, and I'm sure those cops are claiming, I was in fear for my life, and that's why I'm going to continue to push back against this silly notion of white fear. If they was in fear of us, they would leave us alone. I know, you know, I, I don't do things that I'm, I don't mess with people I'm afraid of, and not that there's anyone I'm afraid of, but my experience has been that dealing in racism and white supremacy, going to the predominantly white junior high and high school that I went to, that after I beat down a couple of white boys that wanted to try me, that the rest of them didn't try me because they was in fear of what would happen to them. So I'm pushed back against this this notion of white fear. They are not afraid of us. What what reason? They got all the power. They got all the guns. They they backed by the state and these corporations. So I, I just not buying into that narrative because you know it's just being stated too often, and you keep repeating something, and then it becomes fact for many people, and it's not a fact. They are not in fear. They are doing exactly what they want to do. And that's murder well, us and throw us in slavery. In our Slave Catcher Chronicles, the other stories I wanted to just get out there so you know about them, I may not be able to cover them, but you can be aware that the Injustice Today recently released a report that says data shows police brutality in America is getting worse and that this year could be the most deadly in years. And uh, I, I think that's likely to be true in the way that we see these murders over and over again happening. And then elsewhere... The Supreme Court just gave police the green light to shoot first and think later. And what they're talking about basically is if a police at any point fears for his life or his safety, that he should shoot first and think about it later. Let God sort him out. That's the Supreme Court that has said that. And then there's another one from BuzzFeed where they're publishing thousands of secret NYPD documents. And these documents include the uh, records that uh, the police and the New York Police Department and shows how they are subject to a different set of laws than everybody else is, you know, uh, where they haven't been prosecuted for things that they've done. They just had these uh, recommendations put on their list. This is thousands of them. You need to check them out. Uh, the other one was this story that we had covered once before, but the news finally picked it up like a year later, and it's the conversation a police had uh, in an email with one of his deputies that he was training that if, you know, the victim or the criminal you're after is black you should shoot them and you remember Scotty he also said along the lines that if the mother is hot you should rape her and if the father is black you should shoot him too this was all sent by a police officer to another police officer who was training them um, and it's on video you can find it on new abolitionist radio the other one was a story that came out where officers apparently have a new policy where they can shove their fingers up your ass through your clothing while they're checking you for anything they want to check you for and there's a video of the uh, officers doing that. We've discussed those types of events several times here on New Abolitionist Radio. And it's exactly what happened in slavery in the 1800s with the perversions that were involved with slave catchers and fugitive slave catchers who used these people who they abducted to their own perverse gains. And then there is one thing, Scotty, I want to hear if we have time before we go into our final segments is what uh, Cynthia Nixon said about legalizing marijuana in New York. Um, she's running for governor of New York, and if she's talking like this, hey, that's a great start. I'm with you on that. 
So, Scotty, if you could pull that up, it's on our planning stage and also on the New Abolitionist radio page. Uh, I just want people to hear what she's saying. Now, the conversation has gotten this far up. People, governors are talking about it. We're about to have a debate with governors, but we're talking about it. Presidential candidates are talking about it. Congressmen, senators, you need to be talking about it. Yeah, um, Funny, Scotty? yeah Max, um, I'm looking for it now because um, I was in my you know email, so I got to pull it up. But while I'm doing that, let me uh, go to the abolitionist group. Uh, so much been posted here. Uh, let me see. Tell me, Scotty, to put it in the uh, chat room, and I, I always forget. So let me do that for you right now. Save okay. Some effort, okay. 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 But let me let go. me say this before I play it, and I absolutely support those who are attempting to legalize cannabis. All right. This is a a plant that the earth gave us, and it has medicinal purposes. That the science is clear on that. But it just troubles me that we hear these conspiracy theories from people who say, oh, they using weed to turn black men gay and all this and that. And then, you know, I, I actually did a video debunking that and then using studies from the 1950s and 60s that had nothing to do with cannabis. It was some synthetic mess that they were that they were uh, fooling around with. And so there, like we just heard from Brother Craig, the hundred pounds of weed, they're putting salt, they're ruining and they did not ruin his life. So that's not what I'm saying. But they have ruined lives and they gotten people these felony slave status that prevents them from advancing in certain careers and and what have you just over cannabis, over cannabis. And, um, you know, so let me go ahead and cue that up. I, I see it in the chat, Max, and I'm going to cue that up. So, you know, I don't know much about this governor, but I know a lot about this issue. And and this will prevent a lot of people Hi, from being fined and thrown in jail and thrown in prison behind a plant. This is Cynthia Nixon, who is running for governor in the state of New York. Nixon. A lot of you have been asking about my position on marijuana, so here it is. I believe it's time for New York to follow the lead of eight other states and D.C. and legalize recreational marijuana. There are a lot of good reasons for legalizing marijuana, but for me it comes down to this. We have to stop putting people of color in jail for something that white people do with impunity. Eighty percent of the New Yorkers who are arrested for marijuana are black or Latino, despite the fact that whites and people of color use marijuana at roughly the same rates. The consequences follow people for the rest of their lives, making it harder to get jobs or housing, and for non-citizens putting them in the crosshairs for deportation. In addition to ending a key front in the racist war on drugs, regulating and taxing marijuana would generate hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue for our people and create important agricultural opportunities for our state. In 2018, in a blue state like New York, marijuana shouldn't even be an issue. If there was more political courage coming out of Albany, we would have done this already. The simple truth is, for white people, the use of marijuana has effectively been legal for a long time. Isn't it time we legalize it for 
You heard that, Scotty, right? She went right to the point. It's a racist war on people. And that white people have been smoking weed legally, while black people have been sent to prison behind it, like we just heard today from the young brother. And she's addressing it clear as day. And it's not, and it's not that I, in my advocacy, you know, for the legalization, it's not that I'm promoting drug use. If that's not your cup of tea, then don't use cannabis. But you can't tell me that it's in a that it's just to lock up people who do choose to use. And I find a lot of commentary to be hypocritical from people who use alcohol who use pharmaceutical drugs with, with prescriptions or or who engage in other type of recreational a- activities to enhance their good time. It's just it's just past time, man. And as, you know, the chief of staff of Nixon said, the reason they started the drug war was to target black people and war protesters. Right. Scotty, the other thing that I did want to cover tonight, but I don't think we have enough time because it requires some time. We need at least 20 minutes to 30 minutes just to talk about this particular issue. So we're going to carry this on until next week. I suspect more news will come out behind before we come on air next week. And that's the incidents in South Carolina, what they are calling uh, the worst uh, prison riot that they've seen here. Really, 20 people have been killed in these South Carolina prison riots, allegedly riots, just in the past uh, couple of years. And that's not counting South Carolina has been addressed by the federal government because of the conditions of their prisons. They've also been sued by the ACLU for using debtors' prisons. And police shootings in South Carolina are on pace to match or pass last year, which was one of the worst years in South Carolina history. So there's a lot to really unpack in what's happening in these prisons where people are being murdered right in front of guards. Well, so they I can think next also, week we'll cover that. They can also check out the same episode where um, we talked about Starbucks um, from BTR News yesterday, that podcast, because the second half of that, we discussed, you know, that situation down there at that at Lee Correctional Facility, I believe is the name. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm very familiar with South Carolina, so you probably get a lot of information out of me. Not only is this where I live and have lived for the past few decades, but also did the South Carolina is Ferguson research and put a lot of work into finding out exactly what's happening in South Carolina. And as a witness, I've seen these things unfold. So certainly we're going to have a lot to talk about next week when it comes to that. Scotty, there's a question that I uh, I came up with. I don't know if I have time to ask, ask it. And there's that thing about where I want to request some research help from people. W- which one do you think we should cover first? Um, whatever, Max. We got what about 25 minutes left. So what? Whatever. Okay. All right. Well, the first thing that I guess I want to talk about is I have been researching the Nixon tapes as of uh, recent uh, past few days, three four days. And I'm doing that because I found out that there's only one editor and there's thousands of hours of tapes. And Nixon is the guy who started the war on drugs. He was never shy about showing just how racist and crooked he was. I mean, literally, he he created this archive himself. He started taping his conversations. And some of the things that you can find in there are absolutely outrageous. For instance, the ones you've already seen that have been published is where he was talking about how 
uh, if a black and a white have a baby, that would be a great reason for an abortion right there. And it's why Roe versus Wade should be passed, because those are incidents when you want to have an abortion. And he also talked about how, you know, they could uh, blame the blacks without appearing to do so when it came to the war on drugs. These are the things he said out loud. So uh, only this one white guy out of Texas who is well qualified, but he's the only one editing it. And I feel uncomfortable with that. So I've been going through them. And one of the prizes I already found, Scotty, we'll be talking about tomorrow, is the conversation about Bohemian Groves that Nixon had. With, I, I think it might have been Alderman. I think it might have been. But so far, it's unidentified. He called the man Bob. It's very in-depth. We'll play it, I guess, tomorrow, right, Scotty, on uh, BTR News and talk about it then. Yes, but i also like to point out, and you mentioned this at the beginning, I became aware of, of, of Bohemian Grove through Alex Jones about 20 years ago, 1999, I believe, or either it was 2000, where he took the camera and, you know, tried to infiltrate their grounds and, and what have you. But, you know, in what we'll be talking about tomorrow is, and I think you mentioned this earlier, is him saying how many members they had in the media. But I, I was also reminded that Okay, so so we just Billy Graham just died, and remember it came out on the Nixon tapes that he was talking about the Jews being in control of the media, and so I'm like, okay, there's a contradiction there. Yeah, unless they're saying they take Jews in, in, as members into the Bohemian Grove, but I will point out, Jew, a Jew is a person who practices Judaism. A lot of people we call it Jews are functioning as white. They are white, okay? They are descendants of Europeans, okay? And so so they're white. And so I don't I don't like getting into conspiracy theories like, you know, um um again the Billy Graham was talking, oh the Jews is in control. I'm like Mr. Fuller. Nobody should care about who's in charge as long as they're not mistreating anybody. And I would like to point out that the um, national media today is no different than it was back then. They still publish a bunch of lies in support of, of the drug war, in support of war, period. And, you know, just it's just really disgusting, man. And I just I, I just can't stand it as a person who, who looks at himself as an independent journalist, man, and just how it warps people's minds. But yes, we will be discussing that tomorrow, but the Bohemian Grove isn't the only organization uh, in this country that that have people uh, in positions of high power. Um, you got the Masons, you got the Shriners, you got, you got all kind of groups out there. But, you know, it is interesting that this is being said on that tape. Well, I would like to ask people to give an assist in listening to these tapes. There's 37,000 hours of phone calls. You know, a lot of people will tell you just how many people have died because of the attacks on Iraq, which were based on false information. They'll say like 15 million or 20 million, but nobody will even offer you one single death that happened because of the war on drugs. It's the same circumstances. All of these people lost their freedom and lives because of this misinformation and outright lies. So if you're to find a smoking gun anywhere, it would probably be from Tricky Dick's mouth, uh, saying it loud and clear for everybody to hear. You can find the Nixon tapes at nixontapes.org. It's available for the public to review. 
just go and check it out. What I did was go straight to August. August is Black August. If Nixon is going to be talking trash about black people, it would have been in August. So I went straight to the August tapes. But you can go anywhere you want. There's 37,000 hours available with 500 more hours coming out that have yet to be released. So you'll be surprised what you may find. I've already found incriminating evidence on a huge scale, and I ain't even listened but for a couple hours. Wow. But I'm, I do agree, Max, that those who have the time, you know, maybe listen to an hour today. How would they contact you, Max, to uh, participate in this project? You don't even need to contact me for that. You could just tag me with it when you put it on, uh, 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 put it, post it on social media. Go to the nixontape.org. If you hear something that stands out, then record it on Audacity. Audacity is a free recording program that you can download or online and well, it costs you nothing it works perfect well i say organize it max you know because it's, it's no sense of people listening to the same tape and then putting out the same stuff split it up you you went to august somebody can take september somebody can take november you know split the work up so that you're not um, what what's that word they use as a legal term so it's not redundant redundant work redundant yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we can get somebody to, to step up and volunteer to help put together this organized uh, investigation of the Nixon tapes. Uh, we'll find some amazing things. I'm trying to tell you, if the media has already put out these powerful quotes from them, believe me, they haven't gotten to the good part yet. All right, Scotty. Well, we're running out of time here, so I guess uh, there was a number of things that I want to cover this week, but we went a little, little over time, which was was perfectly fine here, hearing this brother's story. Uh, so we should go on to our final segments of the evening, which would be our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad and our abolitionist in profile. Uh, before we do that, I just want to make note that I did find a little gem. Actually, it's a big gem. Uh, doing my research on abolitionists, I was discussing the man who is known as the founder of what we know today as our uh, public education system, Horace Mann. And I assumed he was a slave owner and found out that he wasn't. He was actually uh, an anti-slavery abolitionist. And he provided an argument, a legal argument, in reply to two prestigious Christian preachers who were using the Bible to prove the legality of slavery. And this speech that he presents is called, The Whole Country is Responsible, and it's the first argument against the legality of slavery. It's intriguing and could be applied today. So check that out when you have the opportunity. Uh, our, I guess let me pull up our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad or our... Okay. Scotty, I'll take the abolitionist. You want to take the rider? And the rider has a, a three-minute video if you just want to play the video for us. Is that the one from OABC.com? It's oh. the exonerated man still yes, being I, monitored I after wrongful conviction. B-A... Uh, 6abcd.com. Yes, I have it. I have it. Okay, um, great. All right. Well, today our writer, I mean, our abolitionist in profile is Moses Dixon. He's the founder of the secret organization Knights of Liberty. He created it to help fight slavery. Moses Dixon was born free in Ohio in 1824. He was the founder of the Knights of Liberty, which was a secret organization dedicated to fighting slavery and helping the enslaved escape. At 16, he began a three-year tour of the South, which persuaded him to work for the abolition of slavery. On August 12, 1846, Dixon and 12 other men gathered in St. Louis to devise a plan to end slavery in the United States. Man, 
amazing how you think these just ordinary people come together trying to figure out how they're going to end slavery. On August 12, 1846, Dixon and 12 other men gathered in St. Louis to devise a plan to end slavery in the United States. It was estimated that by 1856, 47,240 members of the Knights of Liberty throughout the nation stood ready to fight for freedom. Later, in August of the same year, Dixon created another but smaller secret group known as the Order of Twelve. In Galena, Illinois, the Order of Twelve was most prominent in the South and the Lower Midwest. The major benefits to members, similar to many fraternal orders of the time, was a burial policy and weekly cash payments for the sick. During the war, the Knights fell apart and many of the members joined the Union Army. Dixon later became an ordained minister of the African Methodist Episcopal Church and preached at several churches in the St. Louis area. He was one of the founders of Lincoln Institute, which is now Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. In 1879 through 1880, when approximately 16,000 Louisiana and Mississippi African Americans migrated to Kansas in what was called the Exodus Movement, Reverend Dixon served as president of the Refugee Relief Board, which provided them aid and support. Dixon was also involved in the Freemasonry. He was the second Grand Master of the Prince Hall Lodge of Missouri. Moses Dixon died on November 28, 1901. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Brother Moses Dixon. Salute, salute. And I love hearing these stories about these black Christians who were very involved in the Underground Railroad, who were some of the fiercest anti-slavery abolitionists out there because, you know, we often keep hearing this narrative about how Christianity, which by the way, was formed in Africa. When you read those stories, those, they're talking about Africa. You know, the uh, great historian that worked with Malcolm X, uh, um, uh, John Henry Clark, talked about the Bible being full of African allegories and and stories and and what have you, but of course also focusing on Judaism. Um, But, you know, I I was just thinking about the African Methodist Episcopalian Church earlier today because when I lived in Detroit, they had a very, very large uh, church there in in Detroit that I used to attend as as a child. So I love hearing about how the slavers would try to use the Bible to pacify the victims of slavery, but the victims of slavery, like Nat Turner, and the, those who were part of the black church actually used it as, as a liberation tool. And, and so I just love hearing hearing that type of history. So salute again to Mr. Dixon. Our, yes, our writer of the uh, 21st Century Underground Railroad is... I think I'm pronouncing this correct. Ruel Sailor. Ruel. Ruel. Ruel Sailor is our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. A Cleveland man is still fighting for his freedom following his release after he was wrongfully convicted of murder. Ruel Sailor recently walked out of prison 15 years after he walked in. His 2002 murder conviction overturned after prosecutors determined he was not. The killer and I'm gonna go ahead and roll this this um, video max and okay. today's big talkers at the big board and we're gonna begin with the latest legal battle over a man who has seen more than a few he was just released from prison after being wrongly convicted for a murder he didn't commit 
but for some reason he's still fighting for his freedom. Ruel Saylor recently walked out of prison 15 years after he walked in. His 2002 murder conviction overturned after prosecutors determined he was not the killer. But Ohio prison regulations require that ex-inmates, even those wrongly convicted, be forced to wear an ankle bracelet for four months. Saylor is now challenging that rule, arguing that his freedom is long overdue and never should have been taken to begin with. He also says it's about fighting for others. The system has failed. Guys that are, where I just came from, I can be a leader to them and help them in a motivation and inspire them to fight for their they freedom as well. Saylor is now working with several legal advocacy groups to change the regulations, still not technically free, even as he tries to get his life back on track. Man, welcome to freedom, my brother. Welcome to freedom. And, and hopefully you don't have to go through that bracelet thing. And he sounds just like our guest tonight. I want to help right. those, you know, that's in uh, have been put, uh, railroaded by the system. I want to help those get out. And he's working towards that end. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it, it's putting a smile on my face to see these brothers come out of that situation with such a strong spirit and to see that the system that was designed to break them did not. So, you know, again, welcome to freedom, brother. Indeed, Scotty. Well, we're about uh, 10 minutes out of our uh, ending. Is there anything that you want to make sure it was covered before we uh, concluded this yes. episode of New Abolitionist Radio? Yes. If you, if people will go to our Twitter account Black for Black Talk Radio, all right, you can see, get to it from the front page of blacktalkradionetwork.com, but we're on Twitter, at Black Talk Radio. Van Jones is teaming up with the Ford Foundation and another uh, person who works for some nonprofit industrial uh, organization are talking about reforming the criminal justice system. And of course, I let them know, Max, that you cannot reform slavery, that you have to abolish it, and that all you are talking about is addressing a symptom that will not cure the disease. And I actually included photos. I've, I've sent out about three different tweets to each one um, that, that shows the photo of the 13th Amendment because that is what the system is trying to do by using reformists to prevent us from abolishing slavery. And, and, you know, Max said those words and those words continue to resonate with me. You can't abolish. I mean, you cannot reform slavery. You have to abolish it. So if y'all don't mind, go to our find those tweets on our on our Twitter account and like them and retweet them. You know, Scotty, uh, as much as I would love to take credit for that quote, I don't think I actually was the first one. I think it was our brother Johanan who said it, and I have been carrying it on ever since. Okay, shout out to brother Johanan. Indeed. Well, Scotty, there was one story that I didn't get to cover, but I will read something about it. It was a question that it made up uh, in my mind, and then I'll say my final comments. The story is in regards to this brother, this young teen who turned down a plea bargain for 25 years in prison and got 65 years in prison instead. What happened was he and several others was involved in an armed robbery or a robbery of some sort. He himself was neither armed nor ever fired a gun. But because he was a part of this, and when the police showed up, uh, one of the uh, participants was killed, he's being held responsible for the murder of his uh, 
the person who he was there doing a robbery with. And apparently because of a law in Alabama, which is called the Alabama Accomplice Liability Law, which uh, allows them to prosecute people who participated in one way or another for a death that occurred, even though it was a cop who did the killing. And I was thinking about that law, and I'm not sure if Alabama is the only state to have such a law, but the Alabama Accomplice Law states that a person is legally liable for the behavior of another who commits a criminal offense if that person aids or abets the first person in committing the offense. So I'm wondering, if you call the cops and they kill an innocent person and they're later indicted, can the caller be held liable for murder under that law? I mean, you were the one who talked about seeing a child in a park with a gun, a black man sitting in a chair at Starbucks, a guy playing with a toy in a toy department. Do you just get to walk away? And what about all the communication processes that led up to this potential sociopath showing up to kill somebody? Are they also responsible? I think that's something worth pondering. You Here's know, my final comments. Well, yes, Scotty? we'll probably talk about it next week as we go more in depth with the situation with the prisons in South Carolina. But I mentioned that on yesterday's podcast of the exchange I had with um, another person on Twitter. When they asked, asked the question, are the prison officials also guilty of murder for the seven deaths that occurred in Lee Correctional Facility? And as I stated, I don't know, you know, obviously it wasn't planned, so it wouldn't be first degree murder. I don't know what South Carolina statutes are on second degree murder, but in the very least, I would call it a negligent homicide because there's no doubt who set up the conditions that lead to this violence that we see in these prisons. So that just reminds me of that conversation we had yesterday, Max. Yes, sir. Absolutely, Scotty. Um, so, yo, yeah, we'll talk about that in detail. Uh, were you saying something, Tag? Would you like to uh, yes, make uh, a I was just wondering if there was a second to share the event details right quick. Uh, yeah, it looks like we got about five, and I'm, I'm only going to need two. So go ahead, brother. And please, any final comments you have as well? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it, it should take less than a minute. Just wanted to share with everyone in case y'all are able to make it out. Um, next Friday, the Welcome Home Turn Up will be April 27th, uh, Friday, and that's at 6.30 p.m. at the Bronx Social Center, 970 Prospect Avenue. And, um, you know, we're suggesting uh, 10 to 20 or whatever you can give uh, as regards a donation or other things, contact, um, other resources of all sorts, and um, no one will be turned away. And there's also a uh, fundraising page at is.gd slash welcome home. Again, that's uh, www.is.gd slash welcome home, and it's now posted on the BTR community, page, uh, community uh, social media network as well. Thank you, brother. Any final comments? Let's let's uh, end slavery before it's lasted for uh, <laughs> a full 400 years in a row out here. Amen to that, brother. I'd like to say thank you to Brother Craig Lewis, who shared his music and his heart here today about his experience in modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And I applaud his strength and determination. I'd like to say thank you to Tag for helping co-host today's event and interview. Always appreciate it. And our callers. I got to make a statement because I've been causing a lot of problems lately. I'm cognizant that I've been a little bit more intense lately, more opinionated, more stubborn, and much blunter, like I got no filter. 
and that was a conscious decision I made some months ago, which got amped up after my family and friends started dying and being murdered. It won't go on much longer because uh, Tribal and I, along with our comrades, will be on the African continent in a month or so and we'll be out of touch. So before I go, I'm going to be burning things to the ground. I'm going to be beating dead horses and I'll be trying my damnness to help people understand our collective circumstances. It's already cost me a few friends and I've been beat up publicly and digitally. But frankly, I don't care. The truth hurts. It destroys. It pisses people off and forces them to reconsider everything. The truth is not a reclining chair you find comfort in. It's a raging storm that breaks you and leaves you naked. I have no coddling time left to give. All truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. Galilee, Galileo. And I want you to remember this. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Discover that. Peace, y'all. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up. Rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing. Rise